too much for that. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 17. Isaiah chapter 17. Have you ever felt that sometimes life can be so hectic, so busy, so many, just so many trials that you get hit with that you're just weighed down? And all of a sudden, after a while, you just start meandering through life, just existing, and really not with any real purpose or right priorities. And then something happens in life, and there's a life-changing event. Boom. All of a sudden, the things that you thought were important are not so important anymore. The things that you thought that had to give energy to and time to, it's not so important anymore because now life has hit you. You know, going to a, a lot of hospitals, I pray for people who have been in car accidents or because of sickness, etc. And some of these people are just type, uh, one, one, uh, type A personalities, go-getters, very, very busy. I don't have time for God or... I'll have time for God, but when I take care of this person, take care of this person. Just people who are very busy. But when they're on that hospital bed, all of a sudden, what used to be so important, what used to be of the highest priority that they have to give, now it's not so important anymore. Now all they're thinking about is either getting well or preparing themselves to meet their maker. You know, the Bible, it speaks and warns a lot about how a generation that's going to come where many people are going to be just like that, where many people are going to be so weighed down with the affairs of this life that when the Bible warns that this very calamitous, horrible period of time comes called the Great Tribulation, a period of seven years that is going to be so horrible, unlike any part the world has ever seen, that many people are going to be caught unaware. And how Jesus, he loves us so much that not only died on the cross for our sins, but warns us, I don't want you to go through that horrible period of time. A time that we can't even comprehend. I have a way to have you delivered from that time taken away from that time so you don't have to go through that horrible seven-year period of time. And Jesus was so concerned, seeing ahead how people were going to be just caught up with the affairs of this life, that he gives us this text as a warning. Let's look at our text. Luke chapter 21, verse 34 through 36, Jesus' own words. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts... Be weighed down with carousing, that means partying, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, that, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth, the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. God, I ask you, Lord. God, I thank you for your warning. I thank you for your Bible, God. I thank you, my God, that you love us so much, that you give us heads up, God. And I pray, God, that people here 
would stop with the busyness of life and heed your word. And God, that you would touch us and that you would illuminate us, that you would save. God, that you had a course correction, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen. This seven-year period of time that God warns about, called the Great Tribulation, is so horrific, we can't even imagine. But let me just give you a couple of things. At the very beginning of the Great Tribulation, the Bible says that 25% of the world's population will die. An earthquake will be felt throughout the whole world. 25%. Well, if there's seven, let's call it even number, seven billion people. Half of that, 3.5 billion. Half of that, 1.7. So you're looking at over 1.5 billion people that die at the very beginning of the Great Tribulation. And then shortly thereafter, one-third of the rest die. Over half the world's population. We can't even fathom that. It's a horrible time that the Bible speaks about. And then God says, this is going to be centered, you know, almost where the world began. Where did the world begin? Not in the United States, not in Canada, not in Europe, not in Russia, but in the Middle East. And specifically, the Bible says, this is going to be centered, listen, around Israel. I've talked to several of you guys just in the last 12 hours asking some questions about, tell me a little bit about the Middle East. Tell me a little bit about what's going on in the Middle East. Where is the Middle East in relation to the world? Where is Israel? And so many people, I'm too busy to be looking at that. I'm too busy. And I hope in this very short um, message I'm going to give here, I'm going to try to make it short, um, that it is going to illuminate you in what God is saying heads up. The world started and the world's going to end in the area of Israel and specifically Jerusalem. And you know, the Bible speaks about how it's going to end in what the battle, the Bible calls the battle of Armageddon. And there's going to be wars leading up to that war. Armageddon is going to be the mother of all battles. A battle where the nations of the world are going to be fighting each other and fighting against Almighty God. But this war that I want to talk about today is at the very beginning of that. And it's almost like an emergency broadcast sound. You know, when you have, um, uh, let's say, an earthquake coming or in El Paso lately, we've had, you know, rainstorms or even hail. And all of a sudden, the, rail, the, ra- the radio, you're listening to music, and what comes on? What's that noise? The emergency broadcast station, right? And it says, it's beep, beep. You have that? You don't have it. Okay. I had them do that for me. But anyway, so, so all of a sudden they have the noise and they go, this is just a test. This is only a test. Well, I believe that this war that we're about to talk about right now is to give us heads, listen, heads up. The Bible is such an amazing book. There is no other book like the Bible. The thing that convinces me that the Bible is not only the Word of God, but it is worthy of us to read every day, meditate, and live our lives based on it is because 27% of the Bible talks about what's going to happen in the future with such specificity that you can't make it up. I had somebody recently told me, tell me, well, that's because you know people know what's in the Bible and they're just trying to arrange things to make it you know, come to pass. Impossible. 
There are just so many prophecies that it is impossible to do that. And one of them is what we're going to be talking about tonight. The Bible warns that there's going to be a war in the nation of Syria. And that its capital, Damascus, will be destroyed. And that not only will it be destroyed, but it will be a ruinous heap. That means rubble. That means wasteland. And then it says, it will never be inhabited again. This was written 2,700 years ago. In other words, 700 years before Jesus was walking this earth. Then the Bible says that this war is going to lead to another war called the Battle of Gog and Magog, which was written in uh, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38 and 39. Pastor, he spoke about Ezekiel chapter 37 a couple weeks ago. Can these bones live? Remember that? Well, what it's really talking about, you know, pastors, what Pastor talked about is, yes, God can resurrect us. But that also is mainly about the nation of Israel. And how God, years ago, said, Ezekiel, you've seen how Israel is going to be leveled. And it's going to be scattered throughout the whole world. And there's not going to be any more Israel. And then in the last generation, Israel will become a nation again. Some of you guys have never heard that Israel, you say, if I were to ask you, how long has Israel been around? Thousands of years. Not true. Just in my dad's generation, in fact, in some people who are here right now, Israel wasn't a nation until after you were born. Israel became a nation again May 14, 1948. Some people in this assembly were born before that. And some people had said, how could the Bible be true? How could the Bible be real? The Bible says that Israel will become a nation again. It hasn't been a nation since the times of Jesus when it was destroyed and the temple was destroyed and there hasn't been any more animal sacrifices and the Jews were scattered throughout the whole world. See, the Bible is not true. But all of a sudden, we had a president. His name was FDR. And he was not a supporter of Israel, much like the president that we have today. And he told Saudi Arabia, if Israel wants to become a nation, if they push for that, we're going to give you the heads up. We're going to warn you about that. And then, a week and a half later, he dies. And his vice president becomes president, who is a born-again Christian. Just like right now, one of the vice president nominees is a born-again Christian. And so here, Truman becomes president. He was taught from a very young age about Israel and about Israel becoming a nation again. Son, if you can ever help out, you need to do so because God is going to do a miracle Now he is president, and he actually enables and facilitates Israel becoming a nation again. May 14, 1948. And today, we're living in the generation where there are nations, once again, that are trying to destroy it. And the Bible warns, in that generation that Israel becomes a nation again, that's our generation, Jesus is going to come back. It's not going to be status quo. It's not going to be, oh, it's always been that way, and it'll be that way another thousand years. No. 
in this generation, we are going to see the return of Jesus. And then Jesus says, let me give you a heads up. Let me tell you of a war that's going to come. And let me tell you of a city that's going to be totally a ruinous heap. If I were to ask most people, what is the oldest city ever? What is the oldest city that's right now a city in the world that has been the oldest city in the world? Most people would say Jerusalem. And that would be pretty much true. But then if I were to say, but what is the oldest city that has been never destroyed and continuously inhabited? That would not be Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been destroyed many times and not inhabited many times. But there is a city that's been around for thousands of years, even before Jesus. In fact, you know the story of Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle, he was on the road to Damascus, gets knocked off his horse, and he gets saved. We're talking about that city. And Jesus says, take heed. I'm about to tell you what's about to happen. And then he ties in to Isaiah chapter 17. And we're going to talk now about this city. Now, let me show you a picture. Let's, let's look at uh, this city is here. Syria, you see it here, Iraq right below, Jordan right below, Saudi Arabia, Egypt. And then you see right under Syria, Lebanon. And under Lebanon, you see the Golan Heights a little bit, and then you see Israel, okay? Let's look at another picture a little bit more blown up. Well, that's fine, brother. Let's just leave it there. Okay, very good. Um, So now you see Egypt. You see how small Israel is compared to all of these neighbors, okay? Well, the Bible says that this city is going to be a ruinous heap. I have to tell you something. This city has been a beautiful city. This city has been a place where many people have visited and have enjoyed it. But something has happened in just the last four to five years. In the last four to five years, I have people tell me, Ernie, you guys have been talking about this for years and everything is the same. Not true. And this is one example. The city of Damascus has been going through a war. And it now is starting to prove what this scripture has said 2,700 years ago. Let's look at Isaiah 17.1, please. Isaiah 17.1 says, The burden, or translated, the prophecy against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city. Will no longer be a city. And it will be a ruinous heap. That means a pile of rubble or waste. Right now, as we speak, part of that is already true. And I'm going to show you a video. And it's a short video, about four minutes long. And this video is going to show what Damascus used to look like for literally many, 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 many years. Centuries, decades, even millennia. But in the last four to five years, now it's starting to align to what Isaiah was told by the Holy Spirit 2,700 years ago. Go ahead. Very, very modern city. Great architecture. Many Christians... Besides, Muslims live there. A lot of tourism was happening there. 
lot of history. All right, uh, inhabited as we speak. The Bible says that this city will no longer be inhabited. It says, Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city. You can hit the lights on, brother. Cease from being a city. That hasn't happened yet. It will not be inhabited anymore. It's still being inhabited. The Bible even goes on to say in Isaiah 17, 4, that... Isaiah says, I see in the future, well, let me go read, read uh, Isaiah 17, 4, it says, um, and, it, 
And in that day shall, I'm sorry, brother, Isaiah 17, 14, 17, 14. So it says, I see in the future that behold, at evening time or evening, there is trouble. And before the morning, he is no more. Now, this is the portion of those who plunder us and the lot of those who rob us. You can leave it there, brother. So here in that scripture, Isaiah is being told, even though it's already going to be a city of rubble, of, 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 of rubble, it's still going to be inhabited. But there's coming a time. That at nighttime, trouble. And in the morning, everything is dead. There is nothing more existing. I have to ask the question. This was written 700 years before Christ. What could cause... We see what that's... What, we see all that rubble and all the tanks and the, the bombing. Okay? But what could cause everything to be dead from nighttime to the morning? Now, we all know that that's nuclear Weapons of mass destruction, radiation. But Isaiah, that wasn't around in his time. But God knows everything. And God says, write this down. In the future, there's going to come a time, well, from, not, from, the, from the evening to the morning, nothing will be inhabited ever again. Now, what and who would do this? We already know who some of the players are in there, but the Bible then tells us who's going to be causing this. The Bible says it's going to be the nation of Israel. It's going to be the Israeli defense forces that are going to go in there and cause this. But why would they do this? I want us to look at um, Isaiah 17.9, please. Isaiah 17.9 says, In that day, Assyria's strong cities will be as forsaken as a bowl or wasteland, and an uppermost branch, which they left because the children of Israel, because of the children of Israel, and there will be desolation. So here in that scripture, it says, let me tell you who's going to cause this total destruction. It's going to be Israel. Why would Israel want to do that? Why would they, even though they just came out in the news that they have 200 nuclear weapons, why would Israel want to do that? They already have such a bad reputation. Much of the world is against them. Why would they want to have more people get angry at them? Well, the Bible then gives us the reason why. Turn to Isaiah 17, 4. Isaiah 17. In that day shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob, which is Israel, will wane or fade, and the fatness of his flesh will grow lean. And if you look at more commentary on that, what he's saying is something's going to happen to Israel. Its glory is going to be waning. Its fatness, its skin, the people are going to be affected. What does, Israel, what does Syria have that everybody in the world knows and that came out in the news just yesterday and also previously that Syria has even gassed their own people using chemical weapons? And so here that scripture says Israel is going to be affected. Their glory is going to be reduced. They are going to fade. Their people, their, their fatness, their skin, their bones are going to be affected. The only way I can fathom that Israel would have the gall to shoot one of their weapons of mass destruction into Syria is if they do that to their people. And what did Netanyahu, the leader of, of uh, the prime minister of Israel, say yesterday? says, Israel girds for golden war, golden war with Iran and Hezbollah. 
And in it, Prime Minister Netanyahu said, if you guys, because they just finished shooting eight rockets into Israel from that area, if you guys do that, and if it happens to be weapons of mass destruction, be warned. We will use disproportionate force. And we will use everything at our disposal. So here the Bible says that this city will not just be a ruinous heap. It will never be inhabited again. If Israel were to shoot a nuclear weapon there, radiation would cause that. But it's also been reported that underneath Damascus, there are literally hundreds if not thousands of pounds of chemical weapons. And that it could have been very well that Saddam Hussein, when he moved those, he moved those to Syria. And so now Israel has warned them, do not do this. In addition, right now as we speak, in Syria, we've got a powder keg. It's actually not just the Syrian army, but we got the Russians in there now. Thank you very much, President Obama. We've got now the Iranians in there. And now, as of two weeks ago, we've got Turkey in there. We've got the three major, listen, the three major powers of the war that's supposed to happen after Isaiah 17. In other words, the Bible says the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to have Damascus cease from being a city. And then you're going to have the battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39, where it's going to include Russia... Iran, Turkey, along with northern uh, African nations attacking Israel. And many people said, why would they do that? Well, the Bible gives the answer in Ezekiel chapter 38. God says, I'm going to hook you in, Gog, or the leader of this confederacy, which is the leader of Russia. I'm going to hook you in, and I'm going to bring you, Iran, and Turkey in there, as long as with other Muslim nations. Now, for years, people said, but how is that going to happen? I mean, the United States, listen, it's been bedrock policy, foreign policy of the United States ever since Israel became a nation in 1948. Do not allow the Russians in the Middle East. Do not allow the Iranians in the Middle East. Well, we, our president, has just allowed and given over Syria to the Russians, to the Iranians. They're both in there, and now Turkey is in there. And the Bible says, when you see that happening, you know that is already the basis of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And Isaiah 17 still hasn't been destroyed. And that shows you the closeness of the time. In addition to that, you now have in Syria, Russia has put in there some very sophisticated um, artillery uh, and, and equipment to shoot down enemy airplanes. And they put in there the S-300 and the S-400, very, very sophisticated. There was an Air Force general that said, this thing is a beast. This thing shouldn't be played with because our F-15s, F-16s, F-17s, F-18s, it can take down. The only thing it can't take down is our stealth technology, our B-2 bombers, our, 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 our Raptors, our F-35s. Those it can't. But if they have enough of the S-300s and F-400s, even those may be targeted and brought down as well. In other words, it's a powder keg as we speak right now. Israel, 
they have said, if you do this, we will employ the Samson option. The Samson option, if you remember, is when, going back to your Bible, going back is when here you had Samson, and he had been, they had plugged out his eyes, they were mocking him, they had chained him up to two large pillars, the Philistines were partying and making fun of him, and he prayed to God, God, help me to bring down these pillars, and in my death, kill more Philistines and enemies of God than even when I was living. And God gave him the power to bring it down, and it caused the enemies to die. Israel employs that and says, if we feel that our existence is at stake, and we feel that they are trying to kill us and destroy us, then we will use the Samson option. We will have our planes loaded with nukes, and we'll destroy you. And the Bible speaks about this. If that were to happen, and Israel gets attacked by Syria, and some of its people get killed, or many people get killed, Israel will retaliate. But what's in Syria right now? I just finished saying, you have the Russians, you have the Iranians, Turkey's in there. And the Bible says that after they get destroyed, these armies go into Israel and start attacking Israel. That will be the hook. Now you've done it, Israel, Russia will say. Now you've done it. Our people were there. And that will be the hook that brings them in. But that's not the only reason why. The Muslim nations, show the picture of the temple, brother. The Muslim um, nations, they, what they want is they want the, the, the nation of Israel, and they want that. That right there is in Israel you have Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem you have the temple mosque, the temple and the temple mount. What the Muslims want is to destroy Israel, get rid of Israel, so they can move in to the temple mount. That's what the Muslims want. What does Russia want? Well, one, you mess with Russia, we're going to mess with you. But what really Russia wants is real recently, in fact, just since June. How long ago was that? Just months. Just months. Israel has now approved Leviathan, which is the largest natural gas find anywhere. Literally, I think it's, I don't know how many trillion cubic feet, trillion cubic feet of natural gas. And Russia, 60% or more of its economy is selling natural gas and oil. And if Israel starts selling this natural gas to these people in the Middle East, that's going to hurt Russia. And what Russia wants is to stop that and to take over not only the natural gas, but the oil that they just also recently found in Israel in the Golan Heights, which is supposedly occupied lands. Now, I got to tell you, all of this that I'm telling you, a little bit complicated, but all of it is happening right before our eyes and written about 2,700 years. And the Bible says, when you see Israel become a nation again, and then you see them get money, potential large money. Israel's always had money because they're smart people. When they first started off the nation, their agriculture, fantastic. Then they became experts at cutting diamonds, better than anybody. Then if you really look at it, their computer software technology, fantastic. So they have brain power. But really what's happened just in the last few years 
is now they have oil and natural gas. And that's barely starting to come up. And the Bible says when you see all that happening, you know you are at the very end before these final wars that I'm about to tell you about. And God says, the first thing that happens is the Isaiah 17, Syria, Damascus. And then after that, the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. But the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war, where Russia, Iran, and Turkey go in there, that's not supposed to happen until after the rapture. After the rapture. Why does it say that? Because remember how I told you that Syria is going to be destroyed by how? By Israel destroying them. But, it, but Iran, Russia, and Turkey will be destroyed because God supernaturally rains down, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, and destroys them. And the Bible says that's God's wrath, and Christians have to be gone by then. What am I saying? I'm saying that if right now we're seeing Syria become a ruinous heap, and if right now, just yesterday, they shot in eight rockets into Israel, and Israel saying, don't do this because we will do whatever we have to, okay? How close are we to the rapture? If right now we're seeing this converge, it's happening right before our very eyes. And God is trying to say to us, pay attention. Luke 21, 28. Luke 21, 28. says, Jesus says, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption, the rapture, draws near. See, no one knows when the rapture is going to happen. Matthew 24, 36 is very clear. I don't know. No one knows. But even though Matthew 24, 36 nobody, says nobody knows, if you go three verses before that, Jesus says, but you'll know when I'm even at the door based on all these signs. When you see all these signs, nobody knows the day or the hour, but you as Christians that know the Bible, you'll know when it's so close. You'll know because I love you and I'm going to give you heads up. It says, when you begin to see these signs, begin. You know, I got to tell you, I was at Sam's this week, okay? And when I went to Sam's warehouse, you can put that down. number. When I went to Sam's warehouse, I um, was amazed because I walked in and I see Christmas trees, Christmas lights, all the Christmas stuff. And then I see Halloween paraphernalia and all the candies for Halloween. And I thought about this sermon. And I said, God... That's exactly what you're trying to tell us. Because if I was in a coma right now, if I just came out of a coma, okay, and I had been in a coma for a long time, and they bring me back to life, and I don't have a watch, I don't have a calendar, and I walk right into Sam's, okay, but I see that there are the Christmas trees, Christmas lights for sale, and then I see that there are Halloween candy and paraphernalia for sale, I'm going to get pretty excited because my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. And I'm going to go, wow, I see the Christmas tree. I can see the Christmas lights that are for sale. I see the candy. Now, after the candy and before the Christmas tree is the food, Thanksgiving. Guys, I see Damascus. I see the ruinous heap. I see the nations already in Syria, ready for Ezekiel 38 and 39. That's supposed to happen after the rapture. And what's in the middle? Our redemption. The rapture. Nobody knows the day or the hour. But if we already see the first one about to happen, 
And the second one is not supposed to happen until after the rapture, the battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 30 and 39, when Russia and Iran and Turkey and Muslim nations move into Israel. How close are we to the rapture? The Bible says when you begin to see these things, look up. Going back as I am ending, our text, it gives us Jesus' warning. He says, but take heed to yourselves. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with the carousing, partying, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, that that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. See, this warning here, it's really for two groups of people. It's for the ungodly, people who aren't saved, people who are backslidden and living ungodly, partying, carousing, drinking, whatever. But it's also then for the Christian that's being careless. For the Christian that's caught up and weighed down with the cares of life and isn't reading their Bible, isn't praying, isn't contending. The Bible says, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Put me first. But right now, your priorities are not him first. And it's to the Christian as well, saying, when you begin to see all these signs, stop what you're doing. Just like that person that got in the car accident, and now they're in a hospital. And the things that they were doing before aren't as important. And they've been arrested. They're in the hospital bed. And they're going, what have I been doing in my life? Was that? And so many times people will come out of those situations and they don't live the same way anymore because they realize what I thought was important isn't so important. And God is trying to say, what's important to you? If this is what's important to you, live like it. Arrange your life to match up because time is almost up. See, if you're too busy for God, aren't you too busy? Some people, you know, it says, look up. What he's saying is don't be bogged down with the things of this life. Some people are just so earthly-minded that they're no heavenly good. And because of that, we need to be prayed up, read up, so we can be caught up. Isn't that what the Bible says in the scripture? It says, so we can be counted worthy to escape. Worthy. It says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. And then it says in Luke 21, 28, because your redemption, your deliverance. But Ernie, you don't know my life right now. You don't know all the problems I'm having. I hear you. And many people are going through so many things. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus said, Take heed. Don't let those things weigh you down. And sometimes things are so good, you're making so much money, you're doing so good, that that's a problem as well. And all of a sudden you take your eye on what's most important and you put them on these things. And Jesus is saying, don't miss the rapture. Your redemption draweth nigh. This thing in Damascus and then in the Middle East, it's going to affect the whole world. The whole world will never be the same again. Oh, come on. That's not going to happen. Really? What happened in Minnesota last week, you have one of these people 
Islamic extremists go into the mall and start stabbing people ages 15 to 53. Stabbing them. Are you a... Do you believe in Allah? Are you a Muslim? You're not? Allah Akbar. And then he kills them. Or he stabs them, tries to kill them. And then you have the explosions in New York. The explosions in New Jersey. Things are starting to happen. The signs are starting to come. And it's starting to affect us. But the Bible says these wars will affect the whole world. And God says, don't be scared about this. Be prepared about this. And then it says, because your redemption draweth nigh. You know, i got to tell you as I close. As I always look at this and read this, my prayer is always, God, save my family members and my friends who are not saved before the rapture, God. Oh, God, don't let them go through the great tribulation. Because, one, most people are just going to die and not be ready. Now you say, no, no. If I go through, I'm, I'm just going to wait for all this to happen and I'll go to the great tribulation and I'll get saved then. Really? I mean, what makes you think that if you don't want to do it now and you can't do it now, that you're going to do it then? It's easy now. Then it's going to be very, 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 very difficult. And you're probably going to have to die for your faith. What makes you think you're going to do it then when you can't do it now? And I pray, God, save my family members. Save my brother Joe. Save him now, God, so we can see your glory upon his life. So he then, God, we can enjoy him. You know, I think about my sister Susie, and we've been praying for her husband. For I've been praying for him for many, many decades now. God, save him before the rapture, God, so we can all say, wow, God, be be glorified. Look what you did there, God. And then so Susie and Jackie and everybody can enjoy him. And then so he can save, so he can be praying and get his family members saved. That's my prayer. Oh, God, I see all of this. I need to be ready. But God, save my family members who are not ready. And that should be our impetus. That should be our drive right now. All of this should be for us to be able to educate ourselves, know about it. Not be ostriches and put our heads in the sand, but nobody and go, oh, God, use me, God. I want to be ready, and I want to help my family be ready. Is that what you want? Because that's what God wants for you. I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed. Time is short. God is such a good God. He's trying through his holy, precious word to prepare us, to help us to be ready. But some people, all they're doing is partying, drinking, not living right. Maybe claim to even be Christian. But they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Not submitting their lives, not surrendering their lives. And God is saying, repent, turn. I don't want you to be left behind. It's time now to get your house in order. It's time now to change. If you're here right now and you're not saved and you know that you're not right with God or you're a backslider 
and you know you're not right with God, what are you waiting for? I could have showed much more information, but in the interest of time, I didn't. But you can look up much of this information that I'm talking about. Prepare yourself. Look into it. Jesus is coming back. He loves you, and he wants you to get it right. If there's somebody here, and you're not living right, and you are scared right now, that's a good thing. Because if you're not living right and you're scared, that will hopefully drive you to saying, God, I don't want to be left behind, God. God, save me. Forgive me, God. I right now repent, and I turn from my sins. I'm ready, God. No more games. If that's you right now, give your life to Jesus. Raise your hand to God and say, God, that's me, God. Forgive me, Lord. I see that, and I want to get it right. God, I don't want to play any more games. God, forgive me, Lord. Save me, God. No more games, God. I am serious now, and I'm, really, I'm, I'm ready, God, to obey you. No more games. If that's you, raise your hand to God right now. Not to me, but to God. Jesus loves you, and he wants you right now to be ready. Raise your hand to God. Say, God, forgive me. Anybody here? Raise your hand to God. Anybody here? Backslider. You've walked away from God. You know that you're not right with God. God is saying here, and the carousing, the parting, the careless ones, where they've walked away from God, and they're, they're, maybe you're not even living a sinful, sinful life, but you're backslidden in your heart. You know you're not right with God. Come back to Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand to God. Say, God, forgive me, Lord. That's me, God. I see that. Anybody else? Anybody else? Raise your hand to God. Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? Honest people. God loves you. It's time. Don't you see it? Don't you see it? It's time. Don't let your pride or the person next to you hold you back. This is between you and Jesus. Get it right before God. I beg you, get it right before God. Anybody here that will join these two honest hearts? I see that hand. Anybody else that will join these three honest hearts? Anybody else? Get it right before God. Give your life to Christ. Say, God, that's me, God. I need and I want to be ready. Anybody else? Raise your hand to God. I'm going to hold it because I know, I know that there's other people here. And I believe God wants you right now to make today the day that you make the decision. Anybody else? Raise your hand to God. For those of you who raise your hand, please come forward. Ma'am, come on. Come on. Have somebody pray with her right here. Yoshiko, you can just pray there if you want. Just pray there if you want, sister. Evan? Frankie? He'll pray for you right here. Who will join these honest hearts, guys? All right. Christians, this is a very convicting uh, 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 set of scriptures for me because it says it's really for two groups of people, the ungodly and the Christians. But sometimes we can get so busy, can't we? (laughs) Oh, I haven't read my Bible in a week. Oh, but I pray. But you haven't read God's word, and God's word is what changes you. 
what cleanses your mind. And that's why your mind is messed up right now. God says, but take heed lest you be caught unaware. I'm going to open up this altar. Come talk to God. Make a commitment to him in Jesus' name. God, I pray, God, worthy of us, Lord God, to read your holy word. Your word is incredible, God. Your prophecies are incredible, Lord. I thank you, my God. They validate that your Bible is the book. There's no other book like the book. Your word, my God. God, I thank you, my God, in Jesus' name, Lord God, for your warnings. You love us, my God. Thank you, my God. We see it, God. We see it, Lord. And I thank you for opening up our eyes, for illuminating us, God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you. I pray, Lord God. God, for every single person here, God, that they would have a sense of urgency, God. That they would align their priorities with your priorities, God. In Jesus' name I pray, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, my God. 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 Thank you, Can't wait to hear the words. Well done. 
And let's get, let's have everybody stand, please, if you don't mind. Um, and um, do you guys see what I was trying to show that God is incredible and his word is incredible? I mean, isn't it? I am amazed. And when I have people tell me, well, there are many holy books. There are many religions, and they're all the same. No, not true. Nobody has risen from the dead like our Lord Jesus. No one. No other religion. And no other quote-unquote holy book is like the Bible. No other book gives such specificity about what's going to happen in the future. In fact, hardly any other quote-unquote holy book even talks about the future. And God not only does it, but he's batting a 100% right now. And because he's batting a 100 100 right now, because he right now is 100% accurate, doesn't that dictate to you and to me that we should read it and that we should live our lives by it? Don't go by the voices and by what the people are saying. You read it yourself. And if you don't understand it, then get with somebody who does to help you. And I promise you, I'm going to give you a promise here. Yeah? Yeah, the Bible can be difficult. But it's like a jigsaw puzzle. If I were to say right now, this is a jigsaw puzzle. And if I were to call you up and I drop it here, and you don't know that picture there, and I say, I want you to put that together, but I don't show you the picture, it's going to be a little bit hard. But after a while... You're going to start getting it together, and when you may be 50% of it done, you're going to be able to say, I think I know what it looks like. 60% by 70, 80%, I got this. And then you put it together, I go, good job. And then I dump it again. And I say, do it again. And I bet you the second time, you're going to go, papitas. And then I say, do it again. And the third time, you're going to understand it. I promise you, if you read the Bible, Completely, not just the parts you like, but you read all the Bible, including the book of Obadiah. But read all the Bible. Then I promise you, once you do it one time, the second time, hey, I remember when I read that part in Obadiah, that matches to Jeremiah and to Isaiah, and it starts getting exciting for you, and you start putting it together, and it reinforces your faith. You guys with me? Let's make a prayer right now. Paul, uh, uh, pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. You are awesome. I see it, God. I see it happening right before me, Lord. I'm sorry, God, for being negligent, for not prioritizing your word. I'm not going to do that anymore. God, I'm going to read your holy word every day. Illuminate me, God. Show me, God. And I right now want to be used to save my family, God. Oh, God, save my family before the rapture, my God, in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Rolo Rabba Babasa. Sobo Rolo Rabba Babasha. Rorosha. Sobo Rolo Rabba Babasa. Thank you, my God. Sobo Rolo Sa. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Sing this song with me before we dismiss. Close your eyes. Focus on the words. Let's worship God.